Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes Podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here, joined as always by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you, mate? There in the shadows. I'm just, shadow yeah, I'm Nick. Just embracing I'm just the shadow. The- Jungian Nick. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just listening to the the work bloke's theme song in my head. It's How does it go again? Catchy, it's really. Dun, 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 dun. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the. Yeah, it's great. It's okay, great. okay, you'll have to play it for me one day. Uh, maybe yeah. on the golf on the golf trip. Uh, we we have a guest today who I'm very very excited to talk to Dan from Trademark. After uh, I think, don't think it was last episode, the one before Nick was very very bitter and upset about mental health charities. <laughs> Let me let me on. Park park yourself for a minute. This is what happened. I I thought I haven't caught up with Dan for a while. I love the guy. He's near and dear to my heart. Just just can't get enough spending time with him. And how do I how do I get how do I reach him? And I thought this bastard's passionate about mental health and and the non for profit people and so i just i stuck some bait out there i just put a bit of bait out there on a on a big old juicy hook and bang, not even three hours later he got snappled and, and here he is dan how are you welcome to the show thanks for having me ryan mate so that's a pretty accurate um representation <laughs> of what happened if i'm honest with you um I, I think it's awesome that we live in a world where uh yeah where you can give a a title to a podcast, a subject matter that just strikes a chord with someone and engages them in the in the right kind of conversation that you were intending to happen. So, and there's two things. It, I, I I mindfully went into that podcast episode knowing that it was going to stimulate some people. I didn't do it to cause any suffering or anything. But but you know we are fairly. We are fairly we're very mindful in what we do. So I thought an episode where we can actually create a bit of black and whiteness might be might be worthwhile. But what I love the most, and this is why uh, I, I I give you all the compliments I give you, because as a person who is running a not for profit mental health and a, a social enterprise dealing with mental health and everything. When I put when we put that podcast out there, it obviously sparked something in you. But you and I had the most constructive, egoless, healthy, respectful conversation, and that speaks volumes about you. If if you didn't get triggered and go off into this deep destructive fuck you, you didn't take it personally, and and I just want to really honor that and appreciate that. But also, it was pretty boring from someone watching the thread, like, you know, from an outside. I'm like, oh, this is going to be juicy. And I'm like, oh, they're being really, you know, constructive and, you know, they're coming to a resolution and we're talking about something important. But no, hats off to you both for that, especially you, Dan. It was on a Friday night too, might I add. So, like, (laughs) I think we must have started at about 6 p.m. And I don't know when I fell asleep, but I think I fell asleep towards the end of the the interaction just naturally. But, like, we must have been going back and forth for maybe sort of, you know, a couple of hours, I would say, there. And also we had had dual dual platforms running. We're texting and on Facebook. Oh, wow. A public and private forum. 
Well, because I got into it. I got into it. I, I was like, I listened to it. I was really engaged. And it is a subject matter, which we've discussed before, Sada. We've talked about this yeah. a lot in depth, right? And it and it, it means a lot to a lot of people. It really does. And, and there's a lot of people in this country who feel this way about nonprofits and charities. But I put that first comment out there. And then the very next thing was a text to say, hey, mate, check your Facebook. I'm all good. Which, was, which was awesome, but which was amazing. Yeah, and it was like, let's go, let's do this. And I think it's a good example of there's a responsibility, I think, to show because, I mean, you know, when other people see that stuff, you know, like you say, so that we engage in a, in a constructive conversation and um, it's good for other people to see that because that really rubs off on people. It's good to set an example, you know, where you can, where we, you know, live in a world mostly like us is talking about where it's, it's entertainment to get on a Reddit thread and see people <laughs> go at each other. So. Um, yeah. Well, it is a sensitive topic. It is, it is um, you know, it is uh, going to trigger some people. So I think, I think you, you bang on. If we can, if we can show that there's a pathway forward where we can have healthy dynamics in a conversation, that, that can only benefit people. Yeah, Absolutely. and just to give a bit of a you know recap for people listening who may not have listened to two episodes ago. So me and Nick did a show on uh, mental health charities and he had a bee in his bonnet and I happily joined him with that bee in the bonnet and we spoke in depth about our frustrations and what we've seen, you know, in this space, being on the on the front lines over the however many years it's been. Um, in that, we spoke about our... Uh, uh, distrust of a lot of the bigger uh, charities and that that are going around from what we've seen and what we've heard from people in it. We did say that where there were exclusions to it and people that are you know doing things the right way. And Nick's example was trademark. We have Dan on today. Mine was Matt Runnels with Mindful Oz. And so we thought, you know, or Nick thought, and it's great that Dan actually spoke up, that we get him on here and like pull the curtain back and go, what does it actually look like, you know, running a non-for-profit in the mental health space and how does it all work? And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that Dan and also you'd mentioned in the in the comment thread with Nick how you know your ideas you know and philosophies I suppose have evolved over the years as I'm sure they do being you know on the front lines with it so yeah let us know a little bit about how this type of business actually runs and maybe just really briefly on how you guys started as well because a lot of people mightn't have heard of trademark okay yeah right so I'll give you the I'll give you the background the brief background to, to sort of how we came about you know to be in the space so I'm a carpenter by trade um, of 11 years. Um, Co-founder Ed Ross was my apprentice. Um, we met on a building site, forged a relationship. Um, I lost one of my best mates to suicide in 2015, which was my first experience oh, with suicide. I can't remember his name. Sorry, Dan. It's been wrecking my brain. What was his name? My, my mate's name yeah. was also Dan. Oh, it was Dan. That's right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So, which is can can be confusing sometimes when you're talking about Dan's story, <laughs> but so so I lost Dan to suicide in 2015, um, which was my first experience with suicide, and that was kind of the start of the real mental health, you know, conversation. I think in my world, um, and myself and Ed were fairly entrepreneurial. I think at the time we were kind of working seven days a week, we were saving cash, we wanted to start a business, and. You know, we came up with this idea to use, you know, work where, you know, we well, we looked at the mental health space and we thought, geez, it's dark. It's the the, the marketing, the, everything that we're sold is very dark. It's very negative. I mean, it's uh, like black dog. That's what I'm thinking of. You know, like black dog, that kind of. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's very dark. Beyond point. blue, it's yeah. blue and black, and it's 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 just dark, and it's like very heavy. Yeah, we're looking at the space thinking. I mean, I've seen the bus shelters with a depressed-looking bloke or a bloke personifying depression, right? You know, um, 
saying, you know, call this number or call that number. And it's like, well, for fuck's sake, like no one wants to identify with that. You don't want to look at that and think that that's you and that's not going to drive you to take positive action. So we kind of thought, right, we need to do something to take a bit more of a fun and lighthearted approach to the conversation and welcoming people into exploring the mental health space. And so that was the idea for Trademark. So we uh, we create funky eye-catching workwear designed to start conversations about mental health and, as we say, make an invisible issue impossible to ignore, which is – that's our tagline. So following on from oh, trade- oh, oh, so, oh, so Sorry, Dan, I'll just jump in yeah, quickly. So right. when the boys first got sort of known and on the news and that, oh, I just thought it was brilliant and amazing and I reached out and connected with them and mm. um, they took off to China and I took off to Queensland and they left me hanging. So um, – that was that was fun, <laughs> but we ended up doing you know a lot of uh, talks and presentations around with, with um, traders and apprentices and mm. people in the bush and whatnot, um, which which was brilliant. But Dan and Ed also went through a MindFit program, and um, so you know that they, they saw. I think what we fundamentally shared was a passion for educating people and helping people. And we both agree that there is way too much awareness and the stats being rolled out and pumped into people's faces is not effective. So, you know, the boys don't just sit there and preach this or say, you should do this. They're not asking anyone to do anything that they haven't done themselves. You know, they've, they've done a mindful program. They've learned about, Cognitive distortions and self-managing and self-regulating. I think, you know, and, and sitting here, the proof's in the pudding. So I just wanted to let people know that, you know, it, it's it's coming from a very authentic place, both, you know, from, from Dan's loss with Dan, um, but also they're doing the work themselves. So, Yeah, you raised some interesting points there, Salo, as well, uh, because you say, yeah, we agreed that there was too much awareness. That was my opinion. That was, and we'll get into sort of how sort of my opinion has kind of changed and my belief has changed. But I think the other thing to flag as well is that me personally, and Ed as well, and our, you know, our, our staff, but me personally, I've been on a really rapid learning, you know, experience since starting this. You know, we've gone in completely green and we have been on a rapid, yeah, education, upskilling, experience, learning about an entire space and industry that we really have just known nothing about, which has been awesome because I suppose our naivety coming into this space has allowed us to come in with um, a, a more open mind and not so jaded by past prior experiences within the industry. So, yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're going to probably talk a whole bunch of stuff today about nonprofits and sort of my experience in that, and I would – yeah, I would flag that I, I really don't think that I am like, you know, the most experienced person. I'm on a like, I'm on a learning journey. And I think we all are, right? And that's the whole thing, right? We're always learning. But that's always the beauty of you. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. the beauty. You both sit there and go, we don't know it all. We're going to put people around us that do know about it. We're going to learn. We're going to turn up. We're going to commit to improving. And, and that, that's that's why I think you're, you're reaching the success that you are. But and, and I agree on the awareness point as well. Awareness is important, but awareness as a word is subjective. I think there's too much of a light shone on the doom and gloom. And for me, I'd love more awareness to be on what mental health is and normalizing it. And we all have mental health, mental health is a spectrum. There's some pleasant emotions on the spectrum, there's some unpleasant emotions on the spectrum. And we need to experience all of them. Like it's, it's pretty simple stuff, but people just have no concept or idea about it. 
and we've been talking about that. Like, and this is what I when I say to you, Southern. I mean, you were an influential, um, an influential figure in the very formative days of trademark and then TX, you know. And so we still talk when we go and, and speak, you know, on stage now. We still talk about those same things that you're you're talking about, which we learned from you about mental health being a spectrum. And you know, we all have mental health, and you know, it's not just something that you know, like everything that we always talked about that you impart on us. We still talk about that stuff today and other things that have evolved. Mm. But like, yeah, very very formative lessons that have just really stuck, you know. Um, well, it's like that picture the at the on the guy at the bus stop. So people tend to think like, well, am I that guy? or am I not or am I that person am I not do I have this diagnosis or I'm not when we can all we're all in this together you know we're all on that spectrum somewhere um just just back to the question so let's start off with how a non-profit runs what's the difference between a charity and a non-profit business in this space Dan semantics I think to be honest there's no difference I think a charity and a non-profit you know is is essentially the same thing for my reference I feel like there's negative connotations to the word charity I feel like charity sounds like handout, gimme, 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 you know, we need this to do that. What we, we run with TX, which uh, is, you know, is, a, is our mental health counselling service as well that we've founded, is that we run, we do, we run a non-profit business. We have a business model. We have a product that we sell um, to fund it to create a sustainable revenue stream to be able to invest in our people and invest in the company to be able to ensure that we provide a quality service we're not there we don't have any government funding right it's all privately funded tax so we've 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 created a, a sustainable funding model that can allow us to run like a business the only difference is is that we're not paying out a dividend to any shareholders um we hire good people. We don't have any volunteers. We pay above award uh, rates for, for, for our counsellors. And we're trying to foster a really positive workplace environment so that we can provide the best care to people who reach out to us. Great, great. Awesome. And and with the, the counsellors that you have, um, how did you go about choosing them? Do you have some sort of, you know, your philosophy that you want to find a person who fits that or do you have them through some sort of training that matches sort of what you want for the business? Because one thing that... Um, I spoke to this before we pressed record, but, you know, that you brought up in that conversation with Nick, but me and Nick have spoken about this, my God, in probably, you know, 30 or 40 podcast episodes is that initial reaching out to get help is such a big step for a lot of people, especially mm. blokes, that mm. if there's a negative experience, then it's like the the gates open up for the first time in decades. And if there's a negative experience, they'll shut again for another decade or two. And so how do we create a positive experience for people when they are going to reach out for help? Well, I mean, I guess for us, it starts with the fact that that's our priority, right? So as a, as a business, it is our priority to ensure that that happens. It's not some, I don't know if other services are talking like that internally, but that's how we talk. It's something that's really core to our team. And we know that, I mean, as we all know, as you, you guys know as well, there's like a really, really precious moment, you know, when, when someone puts their hand up for help um, and finally decides to make that move to reach out. And it's a really sacred buddy moment when someone really does that for the first time, you know, and 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 it can go one of two ways, right? And if it goes good, it's it can be great. But if it doesn't go well, then it can prohibit that person from ever reaching out for help again in their life, you know, by it can just tarnish, you know, their experience with seeking help. And our whole model, you know, with trademark and TX is all around creating a positive help-seeking, you know, environment. Um, and that's something that we're really trying to encourage. So in terms of our counsellors, 
we've got great counsellors. We we we've got a great mix of um, guys, girls, age, you know, young, older. Um, so we've got a good mix. Um, we've got a good team. Um, look, we've got a, a great head of governance, which is huge. Our service, yeah. Um, Sue Yankovic is our is our head of government uh, governance, and she um, she drives our model of care. And for every twenty counsellors, I reckon that we interview, probably one fits the mould. So we've got a very very strict recruitment um, um, criteria, basically. So it starts with that. We we have a we have a a very clear model of care. Um, we understand exactly how we want to operate and how we want to take people through the journey from, say, point A of needing to talk to a counsellor at TX to point B of not needing us. And for us to do that, internally we work about eight sessions. We aim for about eight sessions to be able to do that. If our counsellors think that another two or four sessions would benefit this person to just continue to get them onto that next phase. They can apply internally to provide more sessions. But for us internally, that's our model. We want to go from point A to point B. We've got a period of time to be able to do that in. And if we can't do that, then we ensure that there's a clear path to that person being able to seek the next level of help and and supporting them through that follow-up help-seeking journey. So there's... Got your hand up, Nick. I did put my hand up. I'm trying to trying to be polite and and um and not not override. Um, so TX is sort of a, a landing space for people to who are in suffering to to find some. It's like sort of triage. It's that first responder. It's that hey, you're going to be okay. We've got you. We're around you. We're supporting you. And and sort of they get that sort of eight weeks there. You know what mind fits about. You know what we do, and you know what I'm passionate about, which is which is okay. Let, let's stabilize someone, but then let's start empowering. Let's start educating. Let's get them responsible for their own mental health and well-being and happiness and so forth. Is is that a direction you can go in, or are they sort of linked into the mental health system, which you know, for our point of view, is a broken system? Um, so that's an interesting question. So we have, so since we started TX, one of the most important things was to be able to track data on, you know, who's reaching out, why they're reaching out, you know, where they come from, what they look like, you know, in terms of age, occupation, all this kind of stuff, because that we we need to use that to be able to guide and dictate sort of where we need to go, um, and what we need to do. Um, so it's about 37% of people who are reaching out to TX currently have never spoken to a mental health professional before. Now, in the early days when we started, that number was about 60% of people who were calling had never reached out to a mental health professional before. But now what we're seeing is that on average, anyone who contacts TX is engaging in, in four sessions on average, and that's bumping up which means they're coming in, they're engaging in the process, they're connecting with the counsellor, and they're not just coming for one call and pissing off. They're actually engaging in this journey of change. Um, we have some people who will only have one session, but we have others who will have eight or, or, or 12 sessions, you know. Um, so we're seeing some really awesome data and some really good follow-through on people who are actually coming in, connecting with the counsellor, feeling supported and engaging. But obviously we know, you know, there's a huge difference between say, you know, the everyday challenges of sort of, of mental health and when that slides down the spectrum and, and moves into mental illness, you know. And 
we're well aware that, you know, TX is not the right service. For starters, we're not a crisis support service. We talk internally. We classify ourselves as an early intervention counselling service. So we want to prevent people from getting to that point of crisis. So, mm-hmm. again, help-seeking behaviour. We're trying to encourage people to do that early on in the piece before like, the shit hits the fan. But we're also well aware that we're not equipped to handle, you know, more complex mental illness cases. Right, but we do have a great support network. We do have a great um, referral network and a great follow-up process to be able to nurture people into where they need to go. Mm-hmm. And we do that. Our counsellors follow up. It's not just, right, you've spoken to us, see you later. It's, no, no, there's a follow-up process, you know, post-care to ensure that that person is sustaining their help-seeking journey. So, which is something that really does set TX apart from the rest. It's the level of care that is so crucial to us to make sure that whatever, you know, whatever presenting symptoms or situations someone comes through with, that they feel like we give a fuck because we do give a fuck, you know. Um, and sometimes you give so many fucks that it can be detrimental to your own <laughs> mental health the, and your the, own, you know, your own personal on, health. Remember, everything's on a spectrum and caring is a double-edged sword. When you care yeah. past a certain point and start taking responsibility for everyone's happiness, you start neglecting your own and it impacts on you. Those stats are interesting, mate, because it shows, um, you know, hark back a couple of years, there was, there was a let's break the stigma, let's break the stigma. And if you know, if you keep saying there's a stigma, there's always going to be a stigma. So I, I just I want to put it to you. The, that, those percentages show that there's no longer a stigma around mental health. Uh, I think people want to get help now. I think people are more than ever open and willing to get help. But what there needs to be is when they knock on the door, what's behind that door it needs to be what's happening at TX or Mindfield or the Centre for Healing. There needs to be less clinical clipboards, less protocols, less da, 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 and there needs to be more love, more Well, what yeah, we're getting at here is we're also it's like someone needs to feel seen, heard, and understood when they first reach yeah. out for help. And if they don't get that, then they're going to turn the other way. It's like th- those gates will close. And, th- and that's why Nick and I are so passionate about lived experience uh, practitioners because, you know, like one of the things we would have at the centre is someone would walk in, you could tell they were wanting to put themselves out there but not sure, but going up and looking at someone in the eyes who's been through something similar might not be the same, but they've been through the fire, and then getting a hug from them and say, come in, welcome, say hi to everyone, all of a sudden someone opens, you know, as opposed to carrying, and, you know, that care is so important, what you're talking about, Dan, because so many people will engage in some sort of service and, you know, they might get an appointment and then the next one's like, oh, yeah, they're not available next week. There's something available in like four weeks. And it's like, fucking hell, I'm not I'm not okay, you know, for or four we'll weeks' see, time. See another person and tell your story all over again. That Nick, that good point. I, I can't tell you the amount of times people are like, I just get comfortable with someone and then I've got to tell my whole fucking story. I have to open up to someone. It was so hard for me to open up to that first person. Now I'm on person number four and we kind of get dissociated. The eyes glaze over. I can see Dan's parked on something. He's waiting for. I know he's about to jump out of his chair. No, no, I'm just like it's just it's just a fucking good conversation, right? Because like this is where this is where we have to look at all the segments of of this space and understand their place and their relevance and how they actually you know impact society. Because yeah, lived experience plays a huge role. Um, awareness plays a huge role. Service providers play a huge role. You know, GPs and in, in, in the in the you know the health you know industry. But I guess this is one of the challenges, right? That we see is that 
everyone's used to reach oh, I, I feel like people are more used to what crisis is and that you know there's crisis support services out there and when shit hits the fan that's what you should do and that's the number that's rattled off you know on the news when there's been a you know a, a suicide or, a, or something like this right but what I guess, you know, what you guys do and I guess what we're trying to do with TX as well being early intervention is we're changing the narrative and we're changing how people want to think about actually seeking help, right? And when you hit a point of crisis, you're often prompted. You Like that's when shit hits the fan, your hands are often tired, something has to happen, right? Um, but to be able to market to the world why they should engage in early intervention or preventative, um, you know, um, services or programs or, or engage with something like MindFit. Now we're dealing with mental health versus the business of mental health. And they're two very separate things, right? But they're fucking sensitive because mental health is a sensitive topic. Only, only because we keep tiptoeing around it. This is what MindFit's doing is saying if you have a body, you have physical health. If you have a mind, you have mental health. Stop stop, stop treating it so sensitively, all right? Everyone, everyone experiences low points. Everyone experiences high points. Everyone goes through emotions. The problem's not the problem. The presenting problem, how someone's feeling isn't the problem. It's their inability to self-manage and self-regulate or to deal with adversity it's the critical thinking errors that they're employing that are creating this terrible, deep, dark world. So all of those things that you're talking about are important, all the, the services and the, the lived experience practitioners. But the most important thing is the person sitting there and going, I need to do something about this because it just makes sense. And we talk about the three keys for a positive outcome uh, within MindFit and it's rapport, hope, and change. You can't get anywhere with anyone unless there's rapport. You, they're not going to keep turning up unless they can see light at the end of the tunnel, and that's what we do in a discovery session. Uh, we unpack it for them, and then change happens within the program, and it's change delivered from someone who's been through the fire, says, and knows it inside out, know what to do, and know, more importantly, what not to do. And we've got a 97% transition from discovery session into program 97 percent of people who go to a discovery session then go into a program because they sit there rapport's there hopes there and they go this just makes sense it's not about mental health it's about self-managing and and learning and developing and evolving that's what it's about mental health just it's like it's like going to the gym and developing a stronger healthier body it's i think we need to move away from mental health is sensitive because it's going to continue to be sensitive are you also okay, Dan, are you are you referring so jump in there but you're referring as well to like let's use physical health like it's much easier to market a diet pill for someone that's fat than a healthy lifestyle to someone who is on the way to getting fat is it you know what i mean is that what you're getting at dan Exactly. So, yeah. you know, mental health, you know, and what it represents in people's world is it's ranging. You know, we've had we've, I've got people who have, you know, lost people to mental health or people who are in it, you know, currently. Or, no, you know, no, we don't lose people to mental health. That's <laughs> mental bullshit. To, to, to suicide, no. I should have said suicide. Losing people to suicide specifically is what I was referring to. Um, we, we, lo we lose people because they're in so much pain. There's only one way out for them. And what we're not doing is offering them a better alternative or a better solution. And that's what we need to do. 
but I guess what I guess what I come at with the mental health versus the business of mental health is that this is such a sensitive topic to people, right? And so there's a requirement to sell what you're doing to people. There's a, there's a requirement to sell your service or there's a requirement for us to sell TX to people to, to be able to encourage them to reach out and use it, you know. And same thing with you, Nick. There's a, there's a need for you to sell your no, service. No, no, I don't, I don't sell it. You don't need to sell it. It's not, it's not something you can sell or it can be sold. It's for us to frame in a certain way that is attractive enough for people to go oh, tink tink th- that makes sense I can join that dot to that dot and I'm going to start walking down that path you're talking it's, about marketing it's, it's exactly what you're talking about well, it's, it's not selling it's presenting it's, it, it okay. is it's semantics it's semantics it's a, yeah, but we're semantics talk- are fucking important. You we're talking about we're talking about the business of mental health. We're talking about the business of it, right? And at the end of the day, like you, you need an income. You're running a business. Like you need to keep the lights on. You need to you need to do that. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that, totally. that, that, that's that's true. And like you know, we can we can you're right. Semantics, you know, marketing, selling. We can frame it how we like. But at the end of the day, like this is what the reality of it is. We're running businesses. We need to make money, but we're also in the business of helping people. Which is okay. It's totally yeah, fine. We can't, we can't help that. people if we're in the gutter with them. But exactly. No one, ever right. talk, no one ever talks about. Oh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sell physical health. Uh, no, it's like we need to help educate people to go to the gym. We don't talk about physical health. We talk about being healthy. We don't talk about, you know. How can we sell physical health? That's not a conversation that is had these days. No, we don't. We don't talk about it like that, and we don't talk about it like what I'm talking about it with you guys right now. It just happens. Like we just we're we're, we're sold, you know, marketing every day, you know, on TV, radio, bus shelters. We don't talk about it. We just consume it. Yeah. And so but now if we can I'm, change the conversation around mental health instead of selling mental health, where what we're offering is. There's, there's a way that you can go about things that creates less suffering for yourself and you get more resilient. So let's so, talk about resilience and stuff. Well, but what I'm like, I guess what I'm saying is that like, I don't think there's anything wrong with selling what we do. We need to. We like, this is business, right? At the end of the day, it's, and it's also healthcare. So it is both, but it's where these worlds collide, where we get this gray area of, you know, no one questions when they pay their power bill what Energex or whoever, what, what they're doing with the money or, you know, when you yeah. pay your rates, you know, when you're your mechanic, your mechanic, whatever. no one questions, no one questions it. Right. But when you're dealing yeah. in the world of social impact or dealing, you know, with social issues that are close to people, people are way more sensitive about how they spend their money and where they part with their money and what they're going to get in return. Right. Yeah. And the, most and people the, are, pay, are paying for the band-aids, the, the alcohol, the, the, exactly. the quick fix. Quick fix, right? And so, and so, what I'm saying is that there is actually a need to market and sell to people that you know there is other ways of doing it, you know, and and it's challenging to know how to do that right because what we're seeing is like the bus shelters, you know, people are trying to sell that you you know you're depressed and that this is what you look like, so call this number, but it's not relatable. So I guess the thing, my question is, and this is the world that I live in as well, because I ask myself this question every day. How do we stay relatable? How do we make sure that we're not um, that we're not, you know, 
dramatizing you know what's going on and and you know and 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 you know profiting off people's suffering but how do we actually yeah. take them along this journey in a sensitive and well constructed way to 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 bring them into this help seeking experience and it's an it's an there's no answer there there's no like right answer it's definitely each to their own. And like I look at you guys with this podcast right now, this is one way that you guys do that. A podcast is a way to you guys to have an open conversation about the stuff that you do and that you're passionate about, hoping that more and more people will listen, vibe with what you do, and then want to engage with you more. This is a selling tool right now. You know what I mean? And I think it's okay to to, to, to be comfortable with that, right? But, I mean, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah so, well, once again, it's semantics. I don't see it as a selling tool. It's a, it's, it's an educational, informative thing that we're giving away. This is the thing. I'm not trying to sell anything. I want to give everything away. And for me, it's a massive difference. And, and I hear what you're saying about it's, you know. We'll then make you yes, mindful programs we'll, free for everyone. Oh, fuck, I'd love to, dude. But uh, what, what I'm saying is I understand what Dan's saying and I agree with what Dan's saying. We do need... Uh, fundamentally, and we've spoken about this, we are profiting from people's suffering, right? And that's something I've spent years reconciling internally. And the way I've done that and with the help of clients is that it's just it's necessary, okay? I, I can't help anyone if I'm in the gutter with them. So, and, and we're putting the money into here to create retreats and everything. So I'm not I'm driving around in Lamborghinis or Ferraris or anything, you know. But I want to I want to offer this too. This is this came from my client, and he said, "Just listen to podcast one hundred and four. Interesting, like yourself, had elevated feelings arise. I can see the exact model of funding and promotion in the mental health system, as in the greater health system. It reminds me of a quote I love. This is his quote: "You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete." And he went on to say, "MindFit is doing this." Uh, Mindfit is creating a new mental health model from the bottom up. This will be more effective than the top-down approach, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I've never looked at I have and I haven't looked at it that way. And it's never been pointed out so glaringly obvious. But instead of fighting the system or trying to change the system, let's, let's create something that's, that's going to work more effectively. So I would offer a thought around that. And this is something that I'm like working on developing these thoughts that I have around nonprofit space. And in my experience, this is like, yeah, definitely developing ideas for me. But let's just, uh, we're focusing on mental health, obviously, right? So I, I had a quick Google last night to see when Lifeline was created and it was in 1963, right? Wow. People were people were taking their own lives and uh, a, a reverend, a priest, I think he was, saw something that had to be done, created Lifeline. Right, then we've gone through different periods of other organisations popping up or like I think that probably the most popular and sometimes polarising one right now is like the Are You OK Day scenario, right? Um, and now I just had a call recently with Catherine Newton, who's the CEO from Are You OK, um, to just get on, this, on the same page as each other. And people weren't talking about mental health, Right. There was Lifeline and that was existing for people who were in crisis and then, you know, society has evolved a bit Then someone's like, I've got an idea, let's create a day where we talk about this shit. So they did it and it fucking blew up, right? Mm-hmm. And and I don't even know when the first Are You OK Day was. I see Beyond Blue was founded in the year 2000. And in the last 20 years from the year 2000, 
the social cause that is mental health has evolved and changed. And the needs around that cause have changed. Where once upon a time, we had to just try to give someone a phone line to call to, to hopefully, you know, not take their life to then going, right, let's make a day where we talk about this once a year. And then, and then now everyone's like, fuck, one day a year is not enough. We need more. You know what I mean? So the cause itself has changed, right? And so organisations have then popped up off the back of the development of this cause, identifying needs and holes, you know, where, that need to be filled. And that's what it's all about, right? Like I look at, say, TX. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the work that Lifeline have done and then the work that, you know, your Beyond Blues and your IOK days and your Black Dogs. We wouldn't be here if not for them. Mm-hmm. They've paved the way. They've paved the way to develop the conversation socially for other organisations to continue to identify holes and look for areas of improvement to go about getting it done. And that's what I consider us to be doing and that's what I would consider you guys to be doing as well and, you know, the development of taking lived experience and using that to foster and nurture people into a positive help-seeking experience. That's what we're all doing. But none of it would be possible without the groundwork of our of our forefathers, yeah. if you will. Well, and, and none of us are shitting on any other organisation because totally. everyone's everyone's been effective in, in their mm. own way and, and contributed and mm. many hands make light work. So it's been a collective and we're just part of a collective, but we're mm. constantly trying to improve the the the, organi- the industry. I think that's For a sure. great way of putting it, Dan. Like that was just a really good explanation because you can see these all got a few of them starting, they get big when it's anything so gets well big. Spoken. When it, yeah, when anything gets big, then they do the holes appear, and there's like, well, this there's some good things about this, but there's also so many things that they don't do particularly well. And then places like Trademark and other similar organisations can move in to fill that holes, but hopefully, it moves us as a society in the right direction. And you know, well, it's just it's just an industry, and like the car industry or any other industry, it's constantly evolving and improving, and other new things are popping up and going. Oh, they're doing that. Let's do this different because there's no there's no perfect utopian industry or model. And this is what this is. This is a model, and we're just trying to continually improve the model, so less people are taking their lives or less people are suffering. And so, and so, but then way. it becomes a question as well as as a as a whole, not just a specific organization, but as a whole, how do we track the efficacy of that? Because it's like, well, there's more mental illness diagnosis than ever, but more awareness means more people are coming forward to get diagnosed. So it's like that's not a great metric. I think the suicide numbers have been what pretty steady. You probably know that better than me, Dan. The suicide numbers are pretty steady, even though there's all this more awareness. However, what does that look like in ten years? Does that change? There's no evidence of that. Um, how many people are on? Um, daily prescription medication for mental health. That's more than it's ever been. So from an overall tracking point, Dan, I'll put it to you. Like, how do we how do we track this and know that we're actually moving in the right direction? It's a great question. I think to move the needle on a lot of these statistics, which, you know, we rarely talk about, you know, because, again, the other thing that I think you guys were talking about, which Sutho and I have talked about before, is using statistics to scare people into thinking they need to do something is really not effective. Um <laughs> What? I think it's it's a it's a slow moving it's a slow ship to turn right it really is um, and you know I would hope that in you know sort of you know ten twenty years time we are seeing the the, the needle and the dial being moved on this thing you know and I think we're going to see generational change you know which we see you know we've always seen you know throughout 
time. So I'm hoping that, you know, generationally there's a lot more education and there's going to be a fundamental shift for younger generations coming through. And that's where we'll really start to see that shift, hopefully. But I mean, in terms of filling the holes, um, I think what is really great is that we can take an entrepreneurial mindset to this space, you know, looking at what certain organisations do well and what they don't do well really allows hungry people in the industry to go about and, you know, come up with ideas and affect change. And, you know, there's ways of attracting the right kind of funding that doesn't have to come from the government. There's ways of actually doing things that can can sort of get ourselves out there more to be able to be providing more of the right solutions to more of the people who need it. But I think one of the huge pain points that I see is that a lot of organisations, a lot of big organisations, they get big and then they get stiff and slow and they don't necessarily evolve with how the social cause that they're advocating has evolved. And mental health is the prime example of that. I they think can't probably, move fast enough, can they? They're a ship they of their own. And as, as soon as ideas and movements change, they, they haven't got the, they can't be nimble enough. To move. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, but, you know, again, this is an industry, there's, you know, people's jobs and livelihoods at stake. And there's also, you know, people who still need a lot of these services and still need crisis support. It would be a perfect world, you know, if people didn't need crisis support. But like at the end of the day, this is always going to be something that people do experience, uh, which needs to be there. And people need to be aware of those services out there, you know, when they get to those points in time. But hopefully, we can drive more people to you know, guys like Southo, who's got his hand up right now, who's about to hit us with a ball of wisdom. Here we go. It's not a ball. It's not Con a ball. Con Southo. It's, it, it's 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 once again. This is all just an offering. I I, I said it in in the episode that started this conversation. I don't have the answer. I don't have. I'm not the overarching authority. I'm just a bloke who's been in the system and who has been chewed up and spat out by it and made worse by having been in there and then found an alternate path and now that's that's what I'm offering and sharing with people. My frustration is, you talk about these, these hungry people, my frustration is I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not good at the the building of it. I'm, I'm very good at what I do, which is the in the trenches, the face-to-face stuff. So I know that MindFit isn't reaching its potential. MindFit's nowhere near. MindFit's at 5% of its potential. And I don't know how to expand it and how to broaden it and how to get it into people's lives that really need it. We've just started working with teens and, and that's come through people banging on the door saying, can you please work with teens? And we rejected it for a long time and now we've finally opened up to it. And so that's a, you know, reaching people at that age is going to be game changing. It's going to be huge. I just worked with a 13 year old and she blew my mind the way that she could sit there and take this on. And I'm just like the, the future version of her, the 18 year old, the 20 year old, 25 year old version of her is going to be so well equipped. So this is going to be, I'm looking at this as a generational thing, you know, plant the tree now for people down the road to experience the shade from. Mm. But I think for the three of us and those like us, I think that we need to change our focus. And I don't see, it may be happening, and I'd love to hear if it is, that there's not enough focus on change. Like 
change comes from when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired or when the pain of staying where we are becomes greater than the pain involved in moving, getting out of our comfort zone. I don't think there's enough understanding of human nature. I don't think there's enough organizations going, how do, how do humans actually work? And not in a psychology perspective, not in a studying the person, but in really understanding how we fundamentally work and what are our natures. And and when you sit there and spend time and, and understand the nature of someone without judging, without thinking you know best, without imposing or or trying to manipulate them into any way, you sit there and go, ah, oh, you, you just you just don't know how to do things differently. And that's okay. And and here's here's something that you can take away and run with. And I guess that's where I'm trying to turn the boats to. And I don't know if the whole industry is trying to turn the boat in another direction. I might have to start my own boat. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you're <laughs> pulling one way and everyone's trying to pull the other way. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a little tinny trying to hoon off. You've got the anchor down at the back. <laughs> the mind fit tugboat. But that, that's what I'm talking about. No, it, it's the focus on what creates change and sit with people and learn about their nature and learn, you know, let's have some conversations, not about the symptom and the, the presenting issue, but let's, let's get down on that fundamental level and spend more time down there. That's just, that's, that's my thinking. Well, I mean, mate, I, like I would credit you again with, um, I suppose a belief, you know, or an understanding that I, have and it's really strong and it's come from you and it is you know the, the buddhist philosophy that you know of, of impermanence you 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 know that was something that you imparted on me and how you know change is the only constant in life and the sooner that as humans we can get comfortable with change at all levels the better and more well equipped and more resilient that we become to, to be able to handle everything and that's just something that is just fully stuck with me and i believe that to my core you know what i mean like that's a foundational i uh, guess you know a, a value for me well, that's a value. Uh, yeah. 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 And I love that. And, and an example is, you know, you said before you've come into this very green and you, it's been a, a fast track of learning and everything. So you, you've experienced a lot of discomfort. You, you've experienced a lot of suffering, a lot of anxiety, a lot of neurosis. I've got the growth. gray hairs to show. And I've growth. got the gray hairs to show for it, boys. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so yeah. imagine, if, imagine if the collective society understood that much of that suffering was necessary. That's important because mm. it's outside your comfort zone. It's all part of growth. But then there are times where you start overanalyzing or getting too far in the future or getting stuck in what happened in the past and starting creating that unnecessary suffering and going, oh, well, this is just a temporary feeling. I don't have to react to this. I don't have to, oh, no, I'm depressed. I'm angry. Oh, no, because what people are doing is they're getting, they're getting anxious about being anxious or angry about being angry or sad about being sad, and that's, that's on them. They're compounding it, but it's on us too because we're not educating them on what they can do and just to observe that, oh, I'm I'm feeling unpleasant. Let's put it in that term. Okay, well, this is going to pass. The two shall pass. Words of wisdom, man. Honestly, like it's it's so true. I mean, um, yeah, that's awesome. There's yeah, a few things that I'd like to like, oh, like yeah. that, that I'd like to that I'd like to yeah. sort of talk on. Go for it, mate. Go for it, Dan. If if we go back to the nonprofit space specifically. Yeah. Right, because like let's look at this. Like let's put a critical spotlight on this. 
we've talked about, you know, I guess the creation of different organisations that are doing things in the space. The well-known brands, the big brands who probably attract most of the funding or that we assume attract yeah. most of the funding. Um, and then my experience with other non-profits that we've worked with. And something that has really stood out to me in terms of charity, right, is what is the founding story? Now, I know of charities that are born out of tragedy, right? In fact, most charities are born out of tragedy or suffering. Like, this is how mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. So, what is the founding story and why has it come to be? Now, if a charity is born out of tragedy, now, that's just devastating for someone or for, or for, for many people, right? And often when that happens, it can become a fundraising machine, you know, it can tap into an issue, specific a specific issue that can really strike a chord with people and it can become a fundraising machine. But it's usually, shit, something's happened, there's an issue, we need to do something, but we've got no fucking clue what we need to do or what has to be done. But we just know and Where's that issue. money going? What, what's that money actually changing? So exactly right, because I know this is where this conversation will go. So this is my first, I guess, observation about, what is the founding story? Is there a clear idea or a clear business model to provide a service or a solution to a specific issue within the mental health space? Or is it an organisation that's born out of tragedy that attracts a whole lot of fundraising and attention and then has to reverse engineer like what, what we now do with this money? And then in those situations, in my observation, there's a lot of money pissed up against the wall. Where they, oh, they, but they start something, but they don't plan for it to get as big as what it. But gets. you know why? This, this is, this is, this is the gap for you. This is what's missing for you. And I'm going to put it really simply. Mindfit was born from tragedy in inverted commas or suffering. So it was trademark. So it was the center for healing. The difference between us and these ones that are, you know, becoming. Fundraising machines. Fundraising machines. It's like a Terminator. So I'm a fundraising machine. (laughs) Give me your money. Um, The difference between us and them is that we are responsive. They are reactive. They are still in a heightened state and they are, the energy source is coming down that very unsettled, reactive, uh, 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 and and it's passion, but it's fire. It's, 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 it's like nitro. It burns hot and bright, but it but it dies really quickly. The three of us, we're slow burning because from that tragedy, we healed, we understood, and then we mindfully went in uh, on this journey. They're mindlessly on their journeys. And that's not a criticism. It's not judgment. It's just... Well, we're founder, we're founder-led. We're founder-led organisations, is what we're saying. So the 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 people who are running, you know, I mean, I'm running Trademark TX. You know, you you guys are at the helm of 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 what you both do. You're founder-led. You are the 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 leader. You've got the vision. You understand. You know why you've come to be. You know, you know where you want to go and how you want to help yeah. people. Yeah. And so you can and you can drive that. And so this is probably my next point. Is it like I've observed charities that have been created out of tragedy, fundraising machines, still haven't processed grief um, of why the charity was ever, you know, in fact, often they use the creation of the charity to process the grief, which is not effective. And then, and then or the charity, or healthy, but it, <laughs> I mean, there's more unhealthy things to do, but, you know, 
And then, and then often those organisations that are created will be handed over for someone else to take control of and run who don't have the, who aren't the founder, who don't yeah, have the genesis They'll be a CFO story. and they're in charge of all that and it's, it gets disconnected. Totally. There's a disconnect and then as soon as you're disconnected from that founder story or why you've come to be, then there's a, a real hesitancy around, righto, what do we need to do here and do how should we do this should we you know should we push the boats out should we take some risks or risks or should we do we just need to stay conservative we don't want to rock the boat like we don't want to you know go too far so as soon as you lose that connection from your founder you know your founding story um whether that was out of tragedy or whether it was an intentional um i guess an intentional move to create a service um in the industry, that's really it's a really important observation to understand. And I think um, probably in a lot of other bigger organisations, we see uh, I wouldn't know who many founders are. And you know, organisations have been founded a long time ago. The founders are long gone. And then you start to get into this cycle of leadership change throughout you know throughout time, throughout you know the, the change in the organisation. And if I mean, well, as, as the founders, we're not in this to profit. That sounds ridiculous. But down on the surface, yes, we are. But down here, where it's coming, the profit is a byproduct, and 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 the profit allows us choices to do other things and invest in other ways and whatnot. Mm. So we're not coming at this from a like, gap in the market. How can we monetize this? How can we profit from this? How can we? We are and we aren't, and this is where we need to learn to work on simultaneous levels. Okay, and this is on yeah. this level. Yes, we are, but down here, no, we're not. And this is where I and this is what where I talk about the business of mental health or the business of any social cause that people are in because there's you you can profit in different ways you can profit from seeing the success of people who have been through your program um, and who are out you know living a fulfilling life that's incredibly profitable. Oh, um, it's a very selfish thing. I, I I get to front row seats to watch the most amazing people do incredible things. There's so much in this for me. I'm benefiting greatly from this work. Which which is awesome, right? But, but you know, by the same token, yeah, we, we all need to make money to live and survive, you know, and that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. And business is a great vehicle to be able to do that. And, you know, business in healthcare professions, has you know there's this this was where i go back to the marketing the selling you know of this like we can sort of sugarcoat it how we want but it's necessary to do these things to be able to create a sustainable business that can impact more lives and i don't think that any 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 business is providing a solution for a problem so we're not profiting from suffering we're providing a solution to a problem i got a fence built i had a problem that the dogs could get out so here was profiting from my pain of the dogs getting out so yeah, you know, I don't think. Yeah, we but have there to is worry. a, but there is. Yeah. I know you want to move away from the word, but there is definitely a public sensitivity. You know, I'll see Oni. Obviously, we run, you know, multiple ads and that kind of thing. We don't get any type of harsh comments from people who actually engage in our trainings and programs. But my God, we get plenty from people who see our marketing and get incredibly triggered. And it'll be like, you know, how fucking dare you profit over other people's suffering? I'm going to get all my friends who think the same way and we're going to attack you and cancel you and bring you down. And so you're not going to get that with the guy, you know, someone who sees an ad for a fence builder. How dare you profit off fucking fence building? You're going to get all my friends and we're going to cancel your fence building business. So there is a public sensitivity there because Um, people have got their own stuff and their own story and they get very, very uh, triggered when they perceive that someone is trying that like they imagine us just you know sitting counting piles of money and everything while everyone's crying and we're not helping them 
When if they actually came in and had a look behind the curtain, which is what we're doing today with Dan, they'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, this is actually you're doing a good thing in the world and not this, you know. That's that's what you get for marketing. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, instead of framing my solution and offering it to people, which is your word for marketing. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, if you give something to someone, there's there's no there's no triggering. There's no oh, you're profiting from. Hang on, I'm the one profiting from this, and that's why I haven't spent a dollar on marketing. That's why I I, I can't. And I'm not saying it, I, it should or shouldn't be. It's it's I, I, I'm, I'm, it's I'm not equipped enough or, or knowledgeable enough in that area. But for me personally, for MindFit, if I, if I was to try and market or do ad words or anything like that. It wouldn't work. I, the The nature of this industry is we have to give in order to receive. I think I think there's uh, like a couple of ways to look at this, other because like we can look at marketing and be like, right, that's Google ads and Facebook ads or whatever, and spend money on that, right? But you said you don't spend a dollar on marketing, but you value your time, right? No, nah, fuck it. <laughs> you, 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 you value your time. And, I and do value my time. How many I episodes don't operate of, on a, How many oh, episodes of this podcast have you guys done? Yeah, but I'm giving my time away. But that's but you know I'm saying you know you got to play with me here, right? So they're like you do value <laughs> your time. He's, right? he's, he's being oppositional. He's being oppositional. Uh, Go no, ahead, Dan. I'm giving my time away. We've done 100, just about the 105th, 106th episode. And that's 105 episodes well spent showing the world, selling yourself to the world, your beliefs, talking, you know, whether you like to frame it, you know, in another way or not, it is what is happening. And hopefully people are listening, engaging and coming in. So when you say you don't spend a dollar on advertising, maybe you don't spend a dollar on Facebook ads, but you do invest your time and your very valuable time in imparting your knowledge and, as you say, giving it away for free in the hope that something will strike a chord with someone and they'll come to you and want to know more. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so this is one thing where we work on simultaneous levels on the surface level, thing person coming and go, Nick, the podcast is part of your marketing funnel and it's a, 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 a gift that you're giving away for free. And that's going to get someone to the next level and the next level. And eventually they'll get down to your core product, which is your program. And yeah. Yep. Yeah, of course. That's, that's how it works. All right. But on a deeper level, give it away. And if someone, we've had people come in contact, they've been listening to this, they've reached out. I haven't done a program with them. They haven't done a program with us, but they've emailed us and said, thank you. This has been life life saving for us. Mm-hmm. And we're not benefiting or profiting from that. We are because it feels so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I'm going to rename the podcast Nick's Marketing Funnel. Is that all right? <laughs> You better get it. You better get a new jingle for it. I'll make um, a new tune. Let's have no jingle. For Welcome us. back to Nick's marketing funnel. Um, so I'd love to. I'd love to talk about another another point here. Okay, right. So yes. we've talked about where does the money go? Where does the money go in a nonprofit? And everyone wants to know this question. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many conversations have you ended up in where where we talk about this stuff, right? When me and Administration. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. Okay. And I'm going to take you back to the business of mental health here soon. So when Ed and I got into creating TX, right, we didn't want to just donate a percentage of our profits to a crisis support service and tick that box thinking, yep, that's done because that's fucking bullshit and that's not – 
you know, we, 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 we want to create solutions and we saw a need to sort of fill the, the gap before crisis, right? More evidence all, for why I love you. <laughs> and so we all, we went into it thinking, right, we need to run a lean model. People are sick of their money being donated, you know, and uh, 80 cents to the dollar gets spent on admin and whatever. So we were like lean model. At any one time, we want to be able to open our underwear drawer and show everyone our, 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 you know, exactly how the whole thing is run. You know, transparency is our number one value. And we always want to be able to maintain that and show, open the curtains and show everyone how it's run. So for the first 18 months to two years of running TX, we run, we ran a lean model where 80 cents to the dollar was going into funding counselors, counselors' wages, right? So 80 cents to the dollar was donated to TX would fund counselors and then the other 20 cents was going towards, you know, admin and overheads and all this kind of stuff, right? Something mm. we're super proud of. We're like, look at us go. We're running this lean model. This is great. You know, we're different. We're, we're different. Exactly right. So, but right. I'll take you back to where we were originally about talking about help seeking behaviors and how do we ensure that people have a positive experience? Well, we ensure that people have a positive experience by running a fucking high quality service. Now, what's more important, running a high quality service or running a lean model? High High quality quality service. Right. So we can't continue to maintain this thing where, righto, all this money that's being donated is actually going to funding counsellors and also run a quality service. And so that's where we have to really change kind of, I guess I've had to change my thinking around what it actually looks like and how we do run a high quality service because to be able to do that, we need the correct management team. We need the the correct team leaders. We need the the correct qualified counsellors. You know, we need to be able to put, uh, we need to be able to nurture them and put the right environment around them to be able to facilitate a high quality, you know, you know, service and high quality care. And so my thinking around the business of mental health has shifted dramatically in terms of this thing has to be run like a business. And to run a good business, you need to attract good people. Now, I know in the podcast that has prompted this podcast, you guys were talking about um, who's running these companies, who's, you know, how much are they being paid? Like, you know, are they being paid top dollar, this, that and the other? I feel like my observation, right, is that I think a lot of people think that anyone who works for a charity is a volunteer or works for free. What do you guys think about that? No. 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 That might be a public perception, but I know that not to be the case. But I I could see that being a public perception, yeah. Yeah, okay. So we've got no volunteers. Everyone who we employ is employed. They're qualified, um, right, and to to, to be able to run a non-profit business that is innovative, aware, authentic, uh, but also pushing the boundaries, you need to bring the right people in with the right experience to be able to do that, right? And people don't work for free. I mean, none of us work for free, I'm assuming, right, to to do the work that we do. Um, You just can't do it. But also to be able to get the right calibre of people to be able to run an organisation correctly, you need to be prepared to pay that person, you know, equal on par of what a CEO would get, what a, you know, what any kind of, you know, mid to high high tier management would be paid to be able to attract that, you know, that quality because that investment will 
directly lead into you know a, a well-run organization and maintaining a high quality service and so i've and really you, had to- sorry to jump in dan but are you mm. then tracking that high quality service by those that data you were talking about earlier that's what's leading these decisions and so our metrics like metric we use all that data and all those metrics to help guide you know how are we going you know if people if the average number of sessions anyone was having was one well then we'd be like something's fucking wrong here because they're not coming back <laughs> you know it's the fact that people are coming back that we know okay we're, we're cutting through here and we're engaging and so i guess what i'm trying to say is that in the business of mental health right you have to be prepared to invest in your people who are running these organizations and invest in your people who are providing the service the correct way and i'm not just talking about financially and remuneration i'm talking about you know workplace culture professional development and you know and and everything that goes into it right but you need to be willing to be able to invest in your people to be able to provide that high quality service it's like you know when you hear conversations about defunding the police in america or some shit it's like you know, when some when something goes down, when someone gets shot, it's like, ah, oh, defund them. It's like, man, no, no, that's actually the thing is they need more training. They need more funding for more training <laughs> and more resources to be able to do a better job. Um, I, I what love I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing here because you, you're reframing it and, and you're pulling back the curtain and we're saying, so what we spoke about in the initial podcast was we see a lot of mental health non-for-profit charity organisations, whatever label we want for them, who aren't being effective, who are the the what 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 sort of terminators are they? The machines, the crowd the funding machines. Fundraising machines. The fundraising machines. And that they were the ones that were in, in my sites. They were the ones that I was really focused on. Mm. What you're saying is so important for people to understand is it's it's if if a not for profit is paying people well, and they're getting bang for the buck, they're being effective, and that's essentially what it all has to come down to. Then awesome, Just fucking throw money at the right people and put them in the right positions and let them do their thing and let magic happen. You know, if that's eighty, if a hundred percent of money goes towards the, the the personnel and the training and the developing of them, and they're being effective. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's that's amazing. Oh, we've we've brought thought. that up before, haven't we, Nick? It's like we when we've spoken about the topic of practitioner burnout in this industry because it can happen. I mean, you're dealing with with heavy stuff with with clients, and if you haven't got the proper energetic boundaries in place, then you can get burnout. And we've spoken about it. It's like we need, or you can lose your compassion and empathy to an extent. You become dissociated as a practitioner and people, uh, it's my strong opinion that anyone working in the mental health space on the front line should be getting paid six figures and working four days a week. Okay. So, cause we need mm-hmm. quality people who are, who are fresh and, and, and passionate about what they're doing. But yeah, the big gripe that, and the one for me is like CEOs of some of these big companies who just get a massive, paycheck do fuck all get and the one story i heard that pissed me off so much was i can't remember how many million dollars it was from the government to roll out a program and they writ the program never rolled it out and it just sat on a shelf somewhere meanwhile i get my tax bill and i'm like oh for fuck's sake you know where's my money going so i'm really glad that we're making this distinction here yeah are there any jobs going at the center for here? Because I could it'd be bang up for six weeks. We're about to hire a digital there. marketing expert i'm not joking either <laughs> nick you'll be great for the role <laughs> I so, wouldn't. I'd be terrible. I've just said that I don't know how. That's to why do it's it. funny. 
put me in the right position. Dan, any, any You're welcome any to apply. Anything going there? Do you know what? Do you know what? Sometimes I think, geez, I wouldn't mind just going out and getting back on the tools and laying a big deck or something just so that no one annoys me for <laughs> Mate, for a week or something. I've had those exact same here. thoughts. Come up here. I've got... <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, you, you need a deck, do you? Yeah, need a couple of them. Um, working holiday. So now, what restricts? What is what is the restriction like, or what the pressures are there on providing quality service? Right? What is the what pressures are there on scaling what we do? And I think scale is something that you know I think is alludes to what well, you're talking about, yeah. Nick. Is yeah. that you know? Yep, scale scale is hard, right? Scaling. But I'm I'm know, also one person, so you I are. Can't, I, that, that's right? where I'm struggling. For sure, for sure, and 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 any business owner ever in the history of world understands the pressures associated with scaling it's just it's yeah it's just tough it's tough work it's a hard slog um but so i look at yeah what i'm talking about with quality at tax and ensuring that we provide a quality care so we're willing to 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 accept the fact that we can't run that lean model because we want to run a quality care a quality service right so what is going to potentially hinder quality well, at the moment, we've got capacity. We've got 10 councillors on the books and, you know, we aim for about 80% capacity for our councillors because we don't want to, we don't want to encourage burnout. We need to, you know, um, we need to make sure that, you know, our councillors are cared for and supported to be able to do the work we're talking about. Um, but what could hinder quality is, well, no one knows about TX really. Like we've, mm. I mean, a lot of people know about, like in, in my world, people know about it, but nationally, we're a drop in the ocean, right? But mm. if we were to get on the scale of Beyond Blue or Lifeline or something like that overnight, we'd be fucked. Like mm. we could, yep. we, like we, we would not be able. There's no capacity. We wouldn't Sorry. be able yeah. to support. But so, so what do you do, right? So what do you do? Because this whole thing is around, I mean, the conversation that I hear often is, well, fuck, you know, I don't have to wait four weeks to book an appointment or six months to see a psychologist or, you know, it's like people need help, but, you know, the, the waiting times are, are crazy. At the moment, our, our sort of waiting times are one to two weeks. You can you, you have your first call and you can jump in and start your counselling journey from that point. But if we were to have an overnight, you know, national sort of activation or something and we just got overrun, well, we can't employ an, an extra 10 counsellors and have them just sitting there waiting, ready to go, right? Um, so the supply you know what chain... What's that? Because well, 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 no, I have the same problem. Uh, I've, yeah. got, I've got clients that are studying and they want to become mindset practitioners and, you know, and so that's, that's a way of scaling it. That comes with all other headaches and everything as well. Great headaches to have, and, and I'll mm. look forward to them. But yeah, we're the same. If if mindfit, someone influential does a program and spreads the word on social media, and we get this influx of, hey, I want a discovery session, we can't handle that. We can't meet the demand. So we've got to put in place um, an online program, which people connect to and go into, and they start doing the work and getting in contact with everything that we talk about and sort of they sit in there for a minute, they're still ticking over, they're connected, and then so not all of them will come down to the one-on-one tailored sort of face-to-face stuff. That, that will be enough for 60 70% of people. But, I mean, is it, is, 
like it keeps you up at night sometimes. I've it's definitely kept me up at night thinking about well, what if this happens? What if that happens? How? What are we going to do? And then what if someone I've trained calls, you better than that? How what? What, <laughs> what if someone calls and they have and they're put out to a one month wait time and then they're like, fuck this. They're all the same as perfect. the rest you don't of them. Have a utopian service. You can't go into that headspace. It's not okay. helpful and, to anyone. But okay, right. Okay, so let's take that what you've just said and have a look at the evolution of mental health as you know, as you know, through throughout society and the organizations that have been established, right? And then how we look back at them now and we think, fuck, they're a bit stale, they're a bit shit, right? You know, or whatever, you know. Um, how do you sort of think about that, you know, because we can't help everyone. You are right. And there is no one size fits all solution. There's not this, you know, utopian, you know, world that exists where we can just help everyone. So let's all stay in our lanes. Lifeline's amazing because there's a crisis, um, suicide. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, lifeline's amazing. Beyond Blue is in its lane and it's doing its thing just because I, I think I don't know how the money's spent and I don't know how effective it is in terms of, you know, helping people to get mentally fitter and, and healthier. Um, you're doing what you're doing. So we're all in our lanes, and, and I think that's where we become effective as an industry if we all know our niches and know what we do and trust that. I trust that TX is getting these people. I would love to work with some of the people that get in touch with TX that then here or you know Hass has seen clients and then they've come to me because he's done the you know, the the root cause sort of stuff. And then I get my hands on and go, right, now let's evolve and develop on top of that. So we've all got a place. And I think instead of being segregated and pointing fingers at each other and going, I want to be better than you, it's like how can we work more cohesively and together? And I think that's probably really the crux of, you know, to back to sort of why we sort of ended up on this podcast, there's a lot of, pain there's a lot of misunderstanding there's a lot of obscurity around the way a lot of these organizations are run in fact there's almost no knowledge really to be honest with you mm -hmm. unless you get in and you sit next to the ceo and get in there and have a look at the books have a look at the numbers you know i mean there's all this information is available online for non-profits so you can actually see everything on the acnc website but in terms of how they're run I'd love to know too. I'd love to get in and talk to CEOs and, and sort of and find out sort of what their pain points are, you know, why they sort of came to be and what their objectives are. You know, were they a, a non-profit born out of tragedy that just had to figure out something to do because they had all this money or did they have a clear objective of how they wanted to impact the mental health space? I think any organisation and any entrepreneur in this space or any CEO needs to maintain a mindset of evolving their service provision with the evolution of the cause they're advocating for because if they don't, they become stale, they get left behind, but they're still building a big brand and they still attract a whole lot of that funding, that government funding that can be so agitating to a lot of people because... It's not usually innovation like at that point. No, it's not because the the founders are likely gone. There's a CEO in place who just wants to, you know, just wants to do it the safe way. And the safe way is the way that doesn't create a whole lot of noise. You know, it's just, that's just laying low and not moving. But we want, like, I want to see these organizations move. I want to see them change and evolve. I would love mm -hmm. to see that. But in the mental health space, people are scared because that, that if, was part of some, why. I I wanted that podcast as well because if it if it shook a couple of feathers or ruffled a couple of feathers or shook a few people off or if it did 
stir some conversations. I thought that was only going to be healthy for the industry. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I mean, and I am of the firm belief that a lot of these organizations, you know, th- to get to a level of CEO, you've done your time on the tools, you've gone through, you know, many businesses and organizations and developed the, you know, the, you've got the runs on the board to then land a CEO position. And often when you get to that point, you're on the back end of your career, you're wanting to just see your time out and it looks great on your resume and you're not really wanting to, to, to shake things up, up or ruffle feathers. For social issues, we require energetic, enthusiastic, yeah. entrepreneurial people to be at the of these organisations to fucking do something good with the platform that they've got because, my God, man, we could do so much good with the funding that comes through, right? I could how's not the, agree the, more. The, the, I could not agree yeah, more. Yeah, same, same. Here, here. Applaud, applaud. How's the physical health industry? It's a billion dollar, I think $3 billion industry or something year, annually. And obesity rates are climbing through the roof still. So the, the, the industry set up to help people to become healthier is not working. And the mental health industry is is more, you know, how much how much money, as you may know, Dan, like how much money is in the Australian mental health landscape? I don't have the stats on it, to be honest. I um, I know it's a lot. You know, uh, I know that there's a ridiculous number of non-profits are created every day in this country. There's something, a ridiculous number of non-profits are created every year and, and most of them don't survive. And most of them are born out of tragedy because they feel like they want to do something, usually in grief or uh, after post-trauma, you know, to be able to affect society yeah. positively, which would lead me to another point that I'd like to touch on, which is something you guys were talking about. Uh, I saw that it might have been you more um, than Haas. It was about individual fundraisers, people going out and doing push-up challenges and raising money and wanting to go and do this, that or the other. And you said that it was a selfish um, – it's a selfish thing, right? Which it is, I agree with. Not judging the person. No, 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 no. But it is a selfish thing, right? More often than not. When people go out and do challenges, they are doing it because they've experienced some sort of trauma or grief and they've been in an awful headspace or they've lost a loved one or, you know, they're, they're permanently changed somehow. And I'd, I've observed so many people doing challenges and using it as a way to pull themselves out of a rut or a shit situation that they've been in post-experiencing, you know, said trauma or grief. And... I think that's okay. I think it's okay to be selfish like I that because I, I, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking mm. about people who post on social media and want to be seen as look how much money I've raised. I did a hundred push-ups today, and and yeah, you know, it's it's more for their ego than if people are using it constructively. Awesome, more of it. And I think there's always the ego is always present. The ego. I mean, you guys know the ego is always there. even if we try to be conscious that the ego exists and that we want to try to remove that and think sort of objectively, you know that the ego is always still there. And so, yeah, there is going to be an element of people wanting to be like, look, look at me, I'm doing this. But they often also using it to do something healthy, um, to kind of maybe take them to get themselves out of a rut or, 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 you know, this, that or the other. And I think, well, if I'm to look at situations that I've seen people end up in, Posting about a fundraiser all over social media compared to not hearing anything from that person and finding out that they're parked in their, you know, 
basement fucking getting blind drunk every night, it's probably a better outcome for the individual. And, I mean, if it creates a bit of a sense of community in doing so, I think that's all right. Even if they donate yeah, the money yeah. to, to an organization that is, do, is is spending it wrong, I mean, they're not. Yeah, they're, well, I don't yeah. actually so, think they're so it's, it's like not that. it's not a blanket. It's not a blanket. Stop doing it. You're terrible. Mm. That, that would be that would be my ego being activated and, and being completely irrational. But for someone like Dan, your friend who you lost, mm. I can't. I, this is what I struggle with. I can't. I can't create a link between someone doing push-ups for a mental health charity or organisation to then Dan going, "Oh, I'm I'm still here," and I, I can't I can't figure that out. It's and a that's, coping that's mechanism. Like, I think it's, it's mostly a coping. It's a coping mechanism. I reckon in my in my observation, I just feel like it's usually a coping mechanism. And I would say, but how is how is this person doing push-ups going to help Dan to still be here? Oh, it's not. It's we know that it's not, yeah. It's it, and I don't think any, and I don't think anyone, like I don't necessarily believe that people think like that when they do those challenges. It is a completely sort of selfish thing, but it's also a coping mechanism. So it's not on the person doing the push up; it's on the organisation saying do push ups and raise money for us. But they're not reaching the Dan or the Nick or the Ryan or the millions of right, other people. Uh, all right, let me hit you with this one. So let's look at, and I'm happy to, to talk. Like I, I've stayed away from talking about specific organizations, really. I've, you know, I, 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 my yeah. belief is that. Come on, name names, pal. <laughs> my belief is that we are here today thanks to the groundwork that everyone else has done. Yeah, yeah, we're on the, we're on the, if you, on the giants, it, shoulder for giants, blah, blah, blah. It, Come exactly. On, if you look at Movember, right, who is a fundraising machine, right? They go. are a the fundraising machine. Well, no, it's not that the gloves are off. I look at November and I'm like, okay, everyone has a moustache and, you know, people are talking about men's health and raising money and doing challenges and that's great, right? I'm thinking, where does the money go? Mm-hmm. What do they do with it? I'll tell you one thing that Movember are doing with it. They're investing some of that money into TX for us mm-hmm. to be able to then go and provide support to the blue-collar community with, okay. our, with our tight model of care and our very high-quality standards. And we're one example. I can now of that. see the link. I can see now see the link where someone's wearing a moustache, raising money for Movember. How it's reaching a person who is so beautiful. So, and that's what and that's what they do. They do all this fundraising. They're a fundraising machine. They're the Terminator bloody fundraiser thing. And then they look at ways and programs that they can then invest that money into other causes or other services that are making a difference. And we're one of those. And we're just one. And I don't know who the others are. I really don't. Mm. But I know that there are plenty of others. I don't have the time to go and try and find out. But that's what they do, right? I don't know what other organisations do who are fundraising machines. I would hope that they're also investing, you know, in in not just marketing and admin costs, but also investing in organisations, you know, maybe like TX or others. But I didn't know that before running an organisation that then attracted that type of funding. And so I think that's something that I also don't think that individual donors like often think about the end goal of where their donated money goes. A lot of people want to know where their donated money goes, but when people do challenges, they're just doing the challenge and they want to donate the money. But I can tell you that that money is actually filtering through to an organisation. That's why, like that's why you're on here today. That's why mm. we're, we're pulling back yeah. the curtain and mm. educating and enlightening me and Ryan and the listeners that 
there are, and once again, I don't look at this through a binary lens. It's good or bad or right and wrong. I'm looking mm-hmm. at it on, as, as a spectrum, and there's a lot of amazing things and a lot of organizations and charities and, and challenges and whatever that are, that are impacting positively and constructively. My, my sights are on the other end, though, and those that are just sort of, you know, not just, it just seems wasteful. That, that's, that's, that's a shame. And I guess this is the point of having a conversation like we're having right now is that I, I, my hope, my hope for the future is that there's more people like, you know, the three of us and others who are taking an evolved approach to, you know, the, the, the social cause which we're advocating for. And I believe we are and others are out there too. Um, but I think to be able to do it effectively, we need to separate ourselves from the cause that we're advocating for and the business behind that cause because to support that cause effectively, if we have the ability to provide a service or a program or education to be able to to help people, we need to be thinking like business people and entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and be be sort of, you know, but be really in tune with how that cause is evolving, where those holes are, where they need to be filled and and have a really well-rounded, I guess, understanding of, you know, of the space, of the role that different organisations play and then of the role that you can play in the space moving forward. And this is, again, I know I've mentioned it a bunch of times, but I just am continuing to evolve this idea of, mental health the cause versus mental health the business. And it's a really, really fine balance, I think, in getting it right because when you're advocating for a cause that is so sensitive to people, they will hold you accountable. They will hold you to account. And they have every right to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to have these kind of conversations to just talk about, like, how different people are thinking, you know. Um, and I have no doubt, like, you know, the work that I guess on that we're doing with trademark and with TX, I have no doubt in my mind that people would be looking at our service or our workwear or whatever and going, well, that's great, but they're not doing this. Why aren't mm. they doing this? Who's going to do this? That's what is a shirt or what does this do or what does that do? And that's fine. I would hope that what we do, you know, um, highlights other holes for other people to come into and and fill. And I hope that they take, you know, a really business-minded approach to be able to creating a, you know, a sustainable um, model because you mentioned a non-profit in, in, in the previous podcast, Sado, that had received a whole bunch of government funding. And if you've just got your hand out and you're waiting for more of that funding to come, if you don't have a, a well-rounded understanding of your sustainable sort of cash flow model, then you're not going to be likely to want to invest in a high-quality CEO or a high-quality, you know, governance manager or high-quality counsellors because you, as that money keeps going down, you're like, fuck, we're going to run out of money here soon, you know, it's, where's the next bunch of money going to come from? But if you create mm-hmm. a funding model or a revenue stream or a business model around it to understand the cash flow and the ins and outs of the whole thing, well, then you can go and spend money on the on the right people and ensuring that we're, you know, creating a quality service and providing solutions for people that actually mean something. So this is like, I guess, how I'm evolving my thinking about the whole thing, I suppose. Well, you, you've, you've helped me greatly because the way you separate the two, the, the mental health 
business and the mental health cause. I'm very much in the mental health cause, and what I'm lacking is a mental health business approach. Like, obviously, we've ticked over for, you know, I've been in this 13 years or whatever, so we're, we're, we're doing okay, but part of my frustration, you know, we're only 5% potential or, or whatever. That's because I don't have that business or someone with that business acumen to go, oh, this is how we can develop and everything. So, yeah, if anyone's listening wants to get in touch, happy to, happy to hear from you. And we, um, I would also just piggyback off the back of that is that I, we don't have all the answers either for myself and Ed. Like we have got really good at asking for help because like we don't know how to run a nonprofit. I'm the fucking chairman of our board. Have you ever sat on a board before? I don't know how to run a board meeting. Like <laughs> only a boogie board. <laughs> like I'm, I'm figuring this shit out on the fly, um, and we've got really good at asking for help all the way through people who can come through and sort of help. I mean, we've also, we also have the, 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 the fortune or the leg up, I suppose, in having a bit more of a public profile. And we've had a whole lot of, you know, media and PR through Edo growth. So it's, you know, we, we do have that in our back pocket, which is a huge win for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize that not everyone, you know, has that. Um, but I guess, oh, man, that's, I, I just, it's, Asking for help, I guess, is at the core of everything that we do, you know. And we have really well, we can't made... we can't ask people to do what we're not doing. We're asking people to stick their hand up and ask for help, but we need to be of a like mind. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, you know, you you said that you're in the cause of mental health and you are and you've had lived experience and I know your story. Um, you know, I, I know limited amounts of your story, Ryan, but I'd love to actually dive into it at some point in time, probably a separate podcast. Um, or a separate beer maybe. Um That'd be great. but um but yeah, I think yeah, I think you actually are in the in the business of mental health, Southern. You are. You've been yeah, running a business for, for yeah. fourteen years, you know, and that's and that's great. That's that's cool. Like that's you've got a whole lot of experience in that side of things. I hate numbers. Like I'm not a numbers guy. I look at a spreadsheet and it makes me want to stick a fork in my eyeball. But um well, we've got got something got- a chairman of the board should say. <laughs> no, it's Mate, I just—it's the way I feel. Excel spreadsheets fucking kill me, you know. Um, but yeah, asking for help, I think, yeah, is a, is a huge thing. Um, I think you know, reframing for me the nonprofit landscape and standing on the shoulders of giants thing that you referred to, Salo. It is true. The social cause yeah. has changed. We're continuing to try to innovate to do that. My understanding about what it takes to run a business has changed. My understanding of investing in good people to be able to run a, a solid non-profit business has changed a lot and is very important to me, you know, for us to be able to provide a quality service. My fears are with scale and growth. Are we ever going to miss anyone? The more we grow, you know, is balancing the number of councils that we employ to, you know, uh, their capacity and all this kind of stuff. Um, but this is what you spoke about, about being founder-led as well, because it's it's really mm-hmm. healthy that you're having these concerns because if I'm all of a sudden a CEO or CFO that's come in from the outside, I'm looking at spreadsheets and numbers and making my decisions. That's the number one priority of the decision and the people are second, whereas you're the other way around. You're like, the numbers mm. have to make sense in terms of scale. There should be trigger points for scale, but we're concerned mm. first and foremost about the people that we're helping. And that's how exactly. that's how the decision should be made. So my hat goes yeah. off to you. 
But I mean, it's just an evolution. I mean, it's 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 so great. It's like a, it's a um, ba- uh, what are they? There's like baptism of by fire or whatever. Like oh, we've yeah. just been yeah. this this whole journey. This I mean, we're almost coming up on six years since starting Trademark, and like fuck me dead. The amount of shit that I have learned, the situations I've found myself in, the tears that I have shed, the stress, the sleepless nights that I've had, but also the lessons that I've taken, you know, all the way through that have stuck with me, like the ones I'm talking about with you guys today that that Sutho has imparted on me. Um, you probably don't call him Sutho, do you, Hass? No, but I'm, I'm going to get involved. <laughs> I've done it once on this podcast, and I reckon I'm going to start. So it's an it's an it's an awesome journey. It really is an awesome journey, and I am really focused on not ever thinking that what we do is the only right way to do it, because I think it can be so easy to get caught up in looking at what other organisations don't do and what they're doing wrong, rather than trying to understand what they do right. Um, well, that's looking at them through that distorted lens and disqualifying the positives, and that's where the ego. Is getting involved in these illusions of grandeur and my way is right. My way is right. Just subscribe now. I'm exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a yeah. We, we need. We need divert. We need. We need training. We need center for healing. We need lifeline. We need it all. But exactly. We can, we can. We can keep each other accountable. And like in business, right? In just general business, people. Organizations waste money on marketing campaigns. They waste money on all sorts of shit, right? But when it's private money, no one cares. Mm. A nonprofit space is nonprofit business. It's still business. They're just not paying a dividend. They waste money just like other organizations and they, and they mm. always will until they have sound leaders with the right people and the right attitude and mindset, there's always going to be money wasted. I mean, we've, we've, we've wasted money, right? We've invested in things with TX that either haven't worked or haven't been right or, or whatever. And you try to learn from those lessons really quickly, you know what I mean, and not make the, the same mistakes. But it is going to happen. Money is going to be wasted. It's just so much more sensitive when it's attached to a social It is, and it's also so the, the word that you said, you know, the way that you guys run transparency, that, that just – just knowing that, like, if some of these beer companies went, yeah, we did this campaign, we are trying to innovate, more, more often than not, they're not. But if they said, look, we're trying to innovate, and you know what, that fucking didn't work, and we're sorry, but we're going to keep trying to innovate, and we're going to keep trying new things because mental health is a big problem in this country, then all of a sudden we're like, okay, all right, I'm on board, I get that, that's okay. Like, you're fucked up. It's an experiment, not every experiment you know? works out. You want yeah. ownership. You want, all we want to see is ownership from people, yeah. right? Taking ownership you know, there's a beautiful... You can hear the acceptance in there, the lack of attachment. That money's going to get wasted. That, that's that's part and parcel of what's going to happen. I'd love you to take that and apply it to helping people. You're not going to help everyone. You are going to miss people. People are going to slip through the gaps or not pick up a phone. And that same acceptance needs to be applied not just for the money but for the people and across the whole entire board. Otherwise, that attachment and desire to helping everyone is going to cause sleepless nights for you. It is going to trigger you into anxiety and affect your mental health. And mm. then you're not going to be as effective and clear-headed and well-rested and helping everyone. So that's your continual work to do. Mm, absolutely. And There's it some is homework cont- for you, Dan. It, mate, it is continual work. It just We call it doing the work. We call it, this is our primary job is to do our own personal work and take care of our business and keep ourselves in a position where we can be of service to others. 
being a chairman on a board and CEO and blah, 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 all this other stuff, founder, that's your secondary jobs. Uh, that's that's secondary, a distant second to, to doing your own personal work. And that's for all of us. That's for all of us out there. Listeners, everyone, you too, Salo. Um, Dan, <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Nick already said, but I want to say it as well. You have really given us the chance to look behind the curtain. I've understood a lot of things that I didn't understand before, and I'm really, really grateful for that and the fact that you reached out and expressed your displeasure at how bitter Nick was in that episode a few weeks ago. <laughs> and also, for anyone listening, if you want to donate to TIAC, Nick's going to go do 10,000 push-ups and he's going to walk to Bundaberg and back next week <laughs> and he's going to post all about it on social media. I am so. I am so. Get down and uh, give me 10. Yeah, I love that. And every every minute until they're done. God, oh, I love that funny. a lot. God, that was uh, I tell you what. One thing I'm for every yeah. every birdie we make on the Gold Coast next week, the Center for Healing is going to donate a thousand dollars to the TX Foundation. Oh, I better let Mel know we're about to depart with a lot of money then, because I'm making birdies <laughs> left, right, and center. Got, mate, I got to say, like, I love. I'm a huge comedy guy. I love Dave Chappelle. He's my fucking favorite, right? And he just does Me such too. a great job of starting at a point taking you on this journey and then bringing you all the way back around to the end. And Ryan fucking Hassan, you just did that as well right there with Sado doing push-ups with TX. That was great. I really, I really he, he does it. He's good. got this wonderful compartmentalised brain where he just parks something over here and will play with it over here and then it's all looped and brought back around. It's 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 beautiful to be a awesome. part of him to watch. I love it. Well, I respect This it. is it's good. Great. Melissa never laughs at my jokes, so I'm glad that you guys are. Thank yeah. you very much, Dan. Um, well, Dan, this was amazing. We're going to have a beer next Thursday night or next Thursday. Well, I'm going to come down to Gimpy and say good day. More than one, hopefully, mate. Hopefully, crack a couple of cans. Yeah, no, this has been uh, great, guys. I really, um, really, um, yeah. Thanks very much for um for having me on. It is um obviously something that I am passionate about and have learned a lot about. You know, this space, and I think um. Uh, I said it to Savo the other night. I'm like, you guys recorded that podcast. You spoke about it. You named it. You advertised it to the world and you did it to intend to create conversation. And I think it's awesome that we live in a world where people have platforms to be able to do that and to be able to name a podcast something that is going to attract like it, it, it got my attention. I'm like, fuck, I need to listen to this. You know what I mean? And it worked and it's led to us having this conversation. Hopefully we can, you know, continue it and evolve the conversation. And, you know, we exist to be able to educate people about all sorts of things. And hopefully this is one of those. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thank, well, thank you, Nick. Thanks for being you and thanks for reaching out and yeah, offering to be a part of it and impart your wisdom and knowledge upon us. So Love it, you. guys. Love it. And anyone listening, if this has invoked something in you, if you want to share your thoughts, don't hesitate to reach out. And um, like Dan just said, we will continue this conversation moving forward and we hope you all do as well. All right, we'll see you next week. Peace out. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.